28, the Bible says, uh, the Lord Jesus is speaking and he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Boy, he's recruiting, see? He's calling out and he's calling to you today. He's calling to me today. He's calling to uh, those around the world. And he's saying, come unto me. He's kind of like Uncle Sam. He's saying, get to the nearest place you can meet with me. Get to me, wherever you're at. Just kneel down. Find me where you're at. I'm recruiting. I want you on my team. I want you in my army, so to speak. It's interesting. You know, with Jesus, we don't ever have to worry about being rejected. You know, he's going to accept you, and he's never going to cast you out. That's one good thing. I still remember going up to what's called the MEPS station up in Cleveland. MEPS is a, uh, an acronym for Military Entrance Processing Station. You know, it's interesting about the military. They like these acronyms, don't they? I mean, they got things like APHES. That doesn't sound good, does it? It's Army and Air Force Exchange Service. They've got this, uh, they, they do ASVAB. You take an ASVAB test. That doesn't sound good either. It sounds like a doctor just prescribed that. But it's an Army Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. I got thing, they say things like, well, guess what? When you're done with your uh, basic training, you go to AIT. Uh, what's that? Oh, Advanced Individual Training. Oh, by the way, when you, when you finally finish that, you'll have your MOS. Well, what's that? Your Military Occupational Specialty. And guess what? All along the way, you get to do PT. Physical training. I mean, every time you turn around, there's some kind of acronym that the military uses. They're big on acronyms. So we go to the MEP station, the Military Entrance Processing Station. I was just a young fellow at the time, and I still remember uh, getting driven up there to Cleveland, and there they dropped me off in front of the MEP station. The MEP station really wasn't a station at all. It was a big building, and on a certain floor, that's where the military resided, and that's where they did their work. And so I still remember uh, going into there and, and, and getting a, uh, go, having an exam. They, at the MEP station, they're going to check you out. They're going to make sure everything's good to go. And things like, for instance, your height, your weight, your measurements, they're going to check your hearing and your vision, your, your urine and blood test, your drug and alcohol test. They're going to check your muscle groups and joint maneuverability. They're going to do that, by the way, in underclothing. It's on the website. And boy, they did too. And uh, they give you this complete physical exam and this interview, and they want to make sure that you're going to work out, you're going to pan out, that you're not going to just be a flash in the pan. And you know what the fact is, is that some don't make it. For whatever reason, they're designated as 4F, not fit for service. Maybe they have a health issue or possibly there's some kind of other problem that's going on in their life. They're not fit for service, so they're not accepted into the military. So the military's out here like Uncle Sam. He's going, listen, I want you for the U.S. Army. I want you to be in the Navy. I want you to be in the Air Force and run to your nearest recruiter. And they run them on up to Cleveland, the MEP station, and they go through all the battery of tests, and they find out that, well, you're not quite what we're looking for. See ya. You never have to worry about that with the Lord. Do you know that with him, you're never 4F? You're always fit for duty with him. In the sense that he's going to receive you, he's going to accept you, he'll take you in. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Well, I like that. Another thing that we note is that God's army is a volunteer army. Now, 
right now our, our, our military is a volunteer, voluntary uh, uh, army, so to speak, or military. I mean, right now there's no draft. But it does seem like often during war, it seems like all of a sudden now the military's drafting. You don't have a choice. You get, your number gets called, so to speak, you're in. God never forces you to get in his army. They never do that. It's always a choice. You always choose whether or not you want to join his team, so to speak. You have to recruit. You have to go there and, and volunteer. You have to actually go to him and ask to, be, uh, to, to join. And he's going to accept you. He'll allow you to. But you don't have to, you're never drafted. He doesn't twist your arm. He doesn't make you do something you don't want to do. Let me tell you something. You can go through your entire life and never be part of God's army. You can choose to reject him. You can choose to have nothing to do with God. That's up to you, but he'll never force you. He'll never twist your arm. He'll never make you do anything you don't want to do in that regard. Let me tell you, our military may say, we're in a time of real trouble. We're in a time of war. We need you now, right now, and it's essential. It's absolutely necessary. It's mission essential, so you're going to join whether you like to or not. You are in, not with God. It's always a volunteer army, all the time, all the time. Once you come to him, though, once you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, once you make the decision to be a part of his, his command, once you receive and accept him as Savior and Lord of your life, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, turn there, would you please? 2 Timothy chapter 2, 3, and 4, we're going to see that all of a sudden we are designated to something very important here. Trying to stick with this theme. Look what the Bible calls us as believers. I'm talking about those that have placed their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Notice the Bible designates us, identifies us as something. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, Thou therefore <clears throat> endure hardness. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith, which indicates or seems to imply that he was a, a person that the Apostle Paul himself had led to Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, no person can ever, ever save you. Only Jesus can save you. But people can lead you to the Savior. And in this case, the Apostle Paul had led Timothy to the Savior, it appears. And he's now speaking to Timothy. And he's going to give him some individual treatment and training at this point. May I say that if you're interested in learning some things that you need as a believer in your personal life, individually, get into a book like Timothy or Titus, where the Apostle Paul actually addresses an individual and says, here's some things that are important. Here's some things that are very pertinent. Here's some things that are very uh, needful in your life. And so he's speaking now to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Well, I'll tell you what, the Bible tells us here that the child of God is identified as being a soldier. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? When I think about Christians, when I think about people who have gotten religion, I don't necessarily think about them as being soldiers. I think about them as being lambs, all kind and cuddly, right? I mean, they're not going to say anything wrong. They're not going to do anything bad. They're going to just simply be kind and sweet and tender-hearted. I mean, God is a God of love. And, and so, therefore, all Christians ought to be perfectly little angels, and they're just simply little lambs. That's not how the Bible describes them. He says they're soldiers. 
I'm not saying that they're not supposed, they're supposed to be out there committing sins or being rebels or anything. That's not what I'm implying. But I'm saying this, you can be certainly super tough and still be a Christian. You don't have to be a wimp because you're a soldier. This idea in the world that somehow you get Christ or you get religion or you get the Lord Jesus in your life, all of a sudden you're just a big wimp. You just went ahead and turned over your life. You're a big nothing. You're a zero. Oh man, I could whoop him easy. He's nothing. He's a Christian. You better watch who you're messing with. Christians aren't all little wimps. They're soldiers. Somebody says, I don't like that. I don't know where you're going with that. Where, where I'm going is this, this, we're soldiers. I don't know about you, but some of the toughest people I ever met were soldiers. By the way, you may not even be physically tough. Maybe you don't have big bulging muscles like me and you don't have pectorals like I have. You don't have all those things. All right. <laughs> But the fact is, you still got to be spiritually tough, emotionally sound. Man, we are Christians and we are soldiers and we're in a battle. We're facing an enemy, as we're going to find here soon. By the way, there's no need for soldiers unless there's an enemy and there's a battle that's raging. Wouldn't need any soldiers if there's no battle. Wouldn't need a soldier if there's no enemy. So we have an enemy then, don't we? Well, who's the believer's enemy? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. So he says, I've heard all this stuff. That's all right, hear it again. It's always good for us to be reminded. I'm telling you right now, I think sometimes we forget we're in a battle even as believers. Then we're going through life and everything's as we used to say years ago, hunky-dory. I don't know what that means, but we used to say it. It's just wonderful. It's just going smoothly. It's going great. And we forget that, what, we forget that there's a battle raging around us. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. <clears throat> the Bible says, be sober. It's not talking necessarily about not drinking, by the way. That's not what it's talking about. Okay, that's not the implication there. The, the idea is be of sound mind. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's talking about the, the adversary. The adversary. And he says he is the devil as a roaring lion. And he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. So the enemy is none other than the devil. He is identified as an adversary. As such, he's on the prowl and he's determined to devour us. That means that everywhere you go and everything you do, as a believer that is, the devil's after you. And may I say even, if you're not a believer today, I want you to know that the devil has nothing good in, 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 in sight or in line for you. He's out there to devour you too. He wants to chew you up and spit you out. He doesn't have any regard for you as a person. He hates your guts and he wants you to be devoured. The enemy is the devil. And again, he's identified as the adversary. See, a lion will stalk their prey, and when they get close enough, they attempt a kind of a short charge, okay, a burst, if you will, and they'll either pounce on their target or they'll kind of try to bowl them over, so to speak. And once a lion has its jaws clamped around its victim's throat, it's swift, it's quick at that point. Boom, they either die of suffocation or of a broken neck. We play with the devil, but I'm telling you, he's not playing. He is, in, he, he is not content to simply kill you, though. He wants to tear you from limb to limb, and he wants to devour you piece by piece. Because once he's cut your wind off, once he's 
gotten rid of your, the life of you, so to speak. He's going to rip you to pieces, piece by piece, and part by parts, and devour you. That's the image, and that's the picture that we have of Satan. And that's the image often that we fail to remember when it comes to the devil. We see him so often pictured as some uh, insignificant, oh, they got some stupid show on called Lucifer now. And the guy's some, you know, uh, from what I can tell, just from the, the uh, I saw an ad on it, this guy is like, you know, hunk a hunk of burning love. I mean, he's really good looking. I mean, I've lived with that my whole life too, but nonetheless, the fact is, is that that's how he looks. And let me tell you something, I promise you this, Satan isn't that. And we are being so sold a bill of goods and the world is being so desensitized to the, the, the horrific attitude and character of the devil. They're so being so deceived by Satan. Don't think for a minute that Hollywood isn't being controlled by the adversary. Despite the gruesome reality, Satan is a master of deception. I mean, the devil's good at distracting us and keeping us from recognizing him for who he really is. And if I learned anything in my years in the military, it was this. I learned along the way one simple truth. You have to know your enemy. You want to get victory? You have to know your enemy. Boy, we would train for hours on uh, identifying planes and identifying tanks and identifying weapons by their sound and all of those things. you got to know how he's going to respond, how he's going to move and what they're going to do and how they're going to react and how they're going to... Oh, it went on and on and on. Are we ever going to end with this? But the more you know your enemy, the better suited and capable you are of defeating it. And may I say that many times we neglect to know our enemy. In Ephesians chapter 2, would you please turn there? Chapter 2, verse 2. We learn something about Satan. Every man and every woman that's ever been in the military here knows what I'm talking about, but that's exactly what we did. We trained to understand and to know who our enemy was. Yes, we trained so that we were prepared to do what we needed to do, but we also needed to know how they would respond to what we did. Notice the devil here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. I, I, I have to be careful because I can get off on that phrase real quick. I, I can kind of go on a rabbit trail. I get kind of misdirected and misguided when I see this phrase. This idea here uh, in the passage of the course of this world. Boy, the, the world has its course to travel. The, the world has its its it's a, a course that it wants you to travel to, by the way. You better be careful what course you're on. And he goes on to say, according, he says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. Boy, you know, Satan is truly powerful. That's what we do know. He's extremely powerful. And he, the Bible says it's the prince of the power of the air. He, he is a prince. He is over people. He's over a system. He's, he's over an army, if you will. And you and I will never see him face to face. Not in this life, you won't. Someone says, oh, yeah, the devil's been on my back. Yeah, he doesn't have to worry about you and me, probably. I'm going to be honest with you. He sends one of those demons to do his work. He's not, he's, there are much bigger fish in the ocean than probably us right here. 
I'm not saying that he doesn't consider what we're doing. I'm not saying so, but I don't believe the devil himself is sitting here. He is not omnipresent like God is. He can't be everywhere at one time like God can. So I don't believe that he's probably in this auditorium today, but I promise you he's got some of his captains, lieutenants, sitting here today trying to disrupt this service one way or another. I promise you that. He is the prince of the power of the air. He commands legions. And we may not see him face to face in this life. We may not stand right in front of me. I may not truly get a glimpse of him and who he really is. Over in the book of Psalm, we recognize in chapter 73, he's, he's viewed as a seven-headed dragon. Interesting that our Disneyland likes to put on things like dragons. Desensitizing our children even to the reality of who Satan is. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'll probably watch a Disney show at some point. But I want you to understand, you better be aware of what's going on. You better understand that the world is always on attack, that the devil is the God of this world, little G God. Maybe I'll give those up and watch Hallmark instead. Come on, you guys. Some of you guys in here act like you're all tough. <laughs> Rough and ready. I wouldn't watch this stupid Hallmark show. That's a chick flick. And your wife goes, honey, and you're like, all right. <laughs> Come on now. Put some pizza in front of the television. It doesn't matter what we're watching, fellas. You know, his authority and his power is unquestioned in the Bible. In the book of Jude, an interesting statement's made. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. We're talking about Michael, the archangel. We're talking about that mighty angelic being. He wouldn't make a railing accusation against the devil. He wouldn't confront him on his own and in his own power and his own strength. He said, men, listen, the Lord rebuke thee, Satan. I'm going to tell you what. Satan's no one to mess with. He's not to be trifled with, nor can he be trusted, by the way. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 8, verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. We're talking about the enemy. Notice what it says in John chapter 8, verse 44. This is one of those definitive passages in the Bible that truly says a lot in just a little time. Look what it says. Ye are of your father, the devil. The Lord, of course, is speaking to some religious leaders at this point. Those that were arrogant and prideful that were not willing to truly honestly evaluate Christ as Messiah. They had already made up their minds. They were determined he was not the Messiah. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Then he goes and turns and says about their father, the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Man, I mean, Satan is nothing more than a liar, I remember uh, having a, a class uh, during vacation Bible school once with, uh, it was actually not so much the class, it was a rally time with a bunch of children. 
I spent the whole period just talking about Satan, the, the devil is a liar. And boy, I mean, we're talking about the devil's a liar. We hate lying. We hate liars. That's not right. You don't lie. You don't do that stuff. And man, I can't stand it. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. I didn't say it quite like that, but I was saying it quite a bit. Before it was over with, I had the kids chant. I said, what's the devil? He's a liar. What's the devil? He's a liar. What's the devil? He's a liar. And someone says, man, you brainwashing those kids? I hope so. Because the world is. The world is. Don't let anybody kid you. The world is brainwashing your children. You better be careful how much exposure you allow the world to have to your children, too. Better be careful with that one. So I want to give them what they really need because the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if God's word says it's true, it's true. And if he says Satan is a liar, then guess what he is? He's a liar. And you know what? The Bible tells us that, I mean, if he's a liar then and he's the father of it, that means then that he's the author of every single lie. Husband, you're lying to your wife? Huh, you better say, get thee behind me, Satan, because that's who's, that's who's, who's bringing that one into, the pl- into play right now. He's the father of lies. I mean, he's at the root of every lie. There isn't a lie that doesn't begin with him. He is, a, uh, he is, um, he is so comfortable telling lies. He's as comfortable telling a lie as we are breathing. Because it's who he is. It's what he is. A liar. There isn't any truth in him, the Bible says. None. And everything out of his mouth is sinful and deceitful. And although he may present sin in a positive light, you can rest assured that it is as dark as night and it is filthy as sludge. He may paint sin pretty and color it harmless, but I promise you this, without a doubt, it will bind you in chains and it will drag you into hell's fire. There's a passage that kind of sums up Satan and his goal for you and I today. Look, if you would, in John chapter 10, verse 10. I got to hurry because I haven't even gotten to the good one, the Lord yet. Look what it says here, and we're going to kind of transition into Jesus now. Watch, watch this, because really, when it's all said and done, you got Uncle Sam, and let me just say, uh, I'm not going to paint horns on Uncle Sam here, because, uh, man, I, I jumped into the military, and I enjoyed, uh, well, not enjoyed all the time, but anyway, I, I endured sometimes, and I enjoyed sometimes the military. But then again, I enjoy sometimes the work I do now, and sometimes I endure it. Right? You know what I'm saying? Do you, do you like everything about your job? I I do. Usually, <laughs> most of the t- 90%, 95, 99, I don't know, but let's face it, we all have aspects of our work, our job, our life that don't always measure up to what we'd like them to. But the fact is, is that we're going to see that you can either follow the Lord or you can follow the devil. They're both captains of armies. The question is going to be, which arm are you going to be a part of? Who will you serve? That's true. That's a question we all have to ask. Notice what it says about Satan here. And he, he sums it up very nicely here in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to what? Steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Satan would steal your joy. 
He would kill any chance of you being free from the bondage of sin. And he'll destroy your soul before it's over. That's his goal. He is no friend by any stretch of the imagination. None whatsoever. He is a ruthless foe and a worthy adversary. Satan, he is a lion who seeks to devour, a liar who hopes to deceive, a thief who wants to steal your joy, destroy your hope, and damn your soul. That's what Satan's all about. But I want you to note the contrast. The Bible says that Jesus has come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I want to ask you a couple questions. Is it love that you seek? Well, John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I want you to know that 2,000 years ago, God himself in the person of Jesus Christ came to earth and he was born of a virgin. He had no sin within him, no no sin coursing through the the veins of Jesus Christ. It was pure blood, perfect blood. And Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. And there, he hung on Calvary, shedding his precious blood, being beaten and battered on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sin, giving his life for his friends. Oh, nobody loved you like Jesus loved you. Nobody. Man, I've got a mom that loved me so much, I can't even tell you and express to you how loved I felt from my mother. But I'm going to tell you the truth. Jesus Christ loves me more than her. Now, my mom, she sacrificed a lot, and she would even give her life, I believe, for me. But I know that Jesus did. Boy, he gave it. Willingly laid down his life so that I, who deserved hell, could escape it. So that you too could. You talk about love. Now, that's love. That's not the idle words of a boyfriend or girlfriend. That's not just some words that are thrown onto a page or shot up on a screen somewhere. These are words that were lived. Words that caused him to go to Calvary and die. He loves you today. Satan don't love you, but Jesus does. Is it joy that you seek? Boy, how many of us want joy in our life? We all do. We'd be fools not to want to experience joy in our life. In John chapter 16, turn there, would you please? John 16, 24. That's the big John. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That John. In chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says, Hither, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask And ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Man, I'm telling you what. I mean, that we can have life more abundantly, that we can have joy that's full joy. Man, I don't know what you're looking for, and I don't know what it is you want necessarily, but I can't believe that it's not love. I can't believe it's not joy. The Lord wants you to have this joy. He wants you to wake up in the morning with some hope in your life. He wants you to look forward to the day. He wants you to say, man, life is awesome and it's worth living. I'm not saying that every circumstance is good. And I'm not saying there's not hurt and heartache. I'm just saying that there is joy as a result of him, his love for you and his commitment to you. Man, joy. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. 
What is it peace that you see? We live in a world that is upside down, as we used to say, topsy-turvy. Crazy. Man, I tell you what, there's so much confusion in the world. People don't know what's right or wrong anymore. People have chosen to disregard the Word of God, and as a result, we've gone off on our own. Humanism has taken root, and it is truly destroying our nation. My friend, let me tell you something. If you truly want peace in your life, you won't find it in this world in which we live. You'll find it in Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 27, the Bible says, Peace I leave with you. By the way, when he's talking there and he's sharing, he's talking to his disciples. They lived in a day when the government, as well as even their own brothers, so to speak, Jews and their family members and friends, were not receptive, nor were they accepting of the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They hunted them down. They killed them, threw them in jail, separated from their loved ones and family members. And yet Jesus has the audacity then to say, peace, I leave with you. May I say that the peace that Jesus leaves goes far beyond just your exterior uh, circumstances. That the peace that he leaves is found within you when Christ himself moves into your life. I mean, the Prince of Peace moves in and there you have peace within. Not necessarily in the world we live at times. Boy, we have it every day we wake up. Every time we go to bed, we can have access to the peace of God because he lives in us. In the person of Jesus Christ, peace. Peace, he says, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Well, it's easy to find peace in our finances if we just just hit the lottery and we have a million dollars. Oh, I feel so much peace until the phone starts ringing and everybody wants a piece of it. Till every family member that you have has a need all of a sudden. And all of a sudden the peace erases and disappears. I'm just saying, he says, it's not like the world's peace. This is different because that peace that I'm going to give you is rooted in me. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what else? I wonder, is it life you're seeking? Just life itself. Again, in John chapter 10, verse 10, we read it already, but Jesus said, I come that they might have... Wait, I come that they might have... What? That they might have life. You got to come for me to have life? You got to be here for me to have life? You mean, are you somehow implying, Jesus, that without you, I have no life? Yeah, that's what he's saying. He said, well, I don't have Jesus in my life, and I'm living. You haven't started really living yet. Let me show you why. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. See, the Bible actually tells us that we are dead before we have a supernatural working in our life. Before the supernatural saving work of Jesus Christ takes place in our life. We are dead. Notice what it says in Ephesians 2.1. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. And so he's going to imply something. First of all, he says, and you hath he quickened. Well, that word quickeneth make, means making alive. Okay, so he says it's past tense. There was a time where, where you, you were made alive. Wait a second, why? Why would they need to be made alive? Because he says, and you hath he quickened who were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, I quickened you back there, but before you were quickened, you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. 
See, listen, the truth is, is that when we were born, we were born in the image of Adam. Someone says, no, I'm born in the image of God. If you go back to chapter 5 of the book of, of Genesis, you're going to find that all of Adam's children were born in his image. That's a sinful image. And I'm going to tell you something. Your children, like my children, never had to be taught to do wrong. It would come quite natural for them to do, uh, excuse me, yeah, it would come quite natural to do wrong. But to do right, mm, they had to be taught. Listen, we are sinners at the root. The fact is, is that I'm a sinner by nature. A sinner is who I am, not just what I do. I, I, I'm sinning because that's who I am. Man, I need somebody, something to change my heart. Listen, if you've got a valve that's broken or something wrong in your heart, heart, you go to the doctor and the doctor does an open heart surgery or possibly sticks something up in you and, and it does something to correct the problem. But years ago, we had what's called open heart surgery and it seemed like every time we turned around, that's what you had to get. And so you had to cut your heart open, break that sternum apart, get in there and do the surgery on the heart to fix that heart. And may I say today, you and I have a heart problem spiritually. We are dead in our trespasses and sins before we come to Jesus Christ. And the fact is, is that there's no way that you and I can do that kind of surgery on ourselves. There's no way we can ask another human to do a spiritual surgery on our heart. We need the God of heaven, the great physician, to crack our sternum, to get inside our heart, and to change us from within. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And unfortunately, because we were dead before coming to Christ, and maybe you still are, the Bible tells us that we have no hope and we're without God in this world. Jesus is the author of love, the fountain of joy, the prince of peace, and the giver of life. Jesus. See, there's still a battle that's raging over right and wrong, good and evil, life and death, heaven and hell today. There's still a battle. It doesn't matter what time in history we've lived in America, we've needed a military. We need somebody to protect us, potentially from the enemies at, at bay. And I say there's still an enemy today. His name is Satan. It's the old devil. The question is, who will you serve? Who will you enlist with today? Sadly enough, it kind of breaks down there, doesn't it? Because the truth is, in Adam, we're born sinners. Therefore, therefore, every last one of us were drafted into the devil's army. Every one of us starts there. We'll live there and die there, serving the captain of that army, Satan. We're born into sin we will live in sin and die in our sin. We, we don't have a choice. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all are sinners. From the moment Adam sinned, every human being since has been born in sin, which means that they're on Satan's team, in his army. You've been drafted. <laughs> the good news. See, that, that, that's, that's the bad news. But the good news is, the Lord is saying, I want you. 
I want you. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, says, I have a volunteer army. You can join my army if you want. You can be a part of my team. You can choose to serve me instead of him. And I'm telling you, that is the choice that is left to you and I today. Say, well, I'm not choosing to serve either one. You've made your choice because, remember, you're born this way. You've already been drafted. You're in. You want to get out. You've got to come to an old-fashioned cross. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross. He willingly laid down his life and died in your place to pay for your sin so that you could get off the broad road, the Bible says in Matthew 7, and onto the narrow one so that you could find your way to heaven and into the presence of God eternally so that you could ultimately honor the creator of all the universe as we ought to anyway by trusting and receiving him and ultimately serving him. I've had some bad sergeants in my day. I still remember one in particular that went around the whole room one day. It was on a Friday afternoon. And he looked at all of us and he got us all together and he said, well, I just found out we're going to need about two, uh, two communication teams out in the field this weekend. And the rest of you will be off. And uh, he said, do I got any volunteers that want to go out this weekend? Of course, nobody raised their hand. And so here's what he did. He started going, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah, well, I was going to take my wife out. I haven't seen her in a long time. And then the next one, what are you you doing this weekend? And the guy said, well, I already planned a trip with my friends over to such and such. I'll be out of town. And everybody was making up lies left and right. I could, I, you know how it is. I mean, you just knew because I knew these people. And he stood there and he, he finally came to me and he pointed, he said, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, Sergeant, I'm just going to be honest, unlike everybody else in the room, I just don't want to do it. What? He got so mad at me. You, with me now. Pulls me out of the meeting, takes me outside, stands me there and says, get an attention, I'm talking to you. And I'm like, whatever. And he starts pointing. You see these stripes? I can make you do whatever I want you to do. I can't believe how you, you, you made me look in that room. I can't believe you'd say, I'm thinking, what did I say? I was just being honest, unlike everybody else. He goes, you're going out there because I say so. Right there. Don't even, no, don't say a word. I wasn't going to say a word. He went off on me, pointing to his stripes, telling me how I'm in charge here. You ain't in charge, O'Donnell. I don't know who you think you are. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? So into the field I went. Can I tell you he was not my favorite sergeant? Can I tell you that he's a good reason why I wanted nothing to do with the military? I couldn't wait to get out because I didn't want to have to be under somebody like that any longer than I had to be. An insecure egomaniac. Had a bunch of those, didn't we? Can I tell you who the biggest egomaniac is in the universe? 
Satan. Can I tell you, he don't really care what's in your best interest. He doesn't care about you at all. I don't want nothing to do with him captaining me or me having to serve him. I can't trust his leadership. But I know somebody's leadership I can trust. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know I can trust him because he willingly gave his life for me and he loved me that much to die for me. If he would be willing to die for me, I got to believe that he'll be, for me, be there for me when I live. He'll want what's best for me. Oh, it won't always be comfortable, but I know it'll be what's best because I can trust his leadership. Who will you serve? Will you trust Jesus Christ today? Will you believe the Lord that died on Calvary and paid for your sin? Will you receive and accept him this moment, even today, as your Savior and Lord? Will you get off the road that leads to destruction? Will you allow yourself to, to get off out of that army that you're born into and into the army of the Lord? It's a great army. It's the best. And may I say this? The benefits are out of this world. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us and help us. We need you tonight, uh, this morning. And I just pray that you would just be with each person. Lord, may something that was said truly, I don't know, bring conviction and ultimately change in lives. Lord, right now, there's no doubt that there's probably folks here that have never received and accepted Christ. Lord, may they not leave here without calling on the name of the Lord. When they not leave here without inviting Jesus into their life and trusting him as their savior and choosing to serve him with their life and not to continue going on the path that they're going. Oh, we need you, Lord Jesus. Without you, we have no hope. We're without God in this world. We need you today. So blessed. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder who would say, preacher, honestly, There's never been a time in my life when I invited Christ in my life. There's never been that time. But I believe that I need to take and make a decision to get in his army. I see I I should. I, I know and recognize that I need to make that change. Would you pray for me that God would give me the strength to even do that? I see that I need to change. I know that I'm on the wrong path. I want to be in the right army. I want to be under the right leadership. I want to serve Jesus. I don't want to serve the devil. I don't want to serve myself. I just understand I need Christ in my life because I'm just a sinner and I need his forgiveness. Preacher, that's me. Pray for me, would you? Can I see your hand? Would you just lift it up? Let me pray for you. Around the building, anybody? Would you let me pray for you? Would you be honest with yourself and with God for just a moment and let me pray for you at least? I won't come down there and get you. I won't send anybody over to you. Anybody? You're a child of God. How you doing with recognizing who Satan is? Thank you for that hand. How you doing? What are you going to do with him? If you've received and accepted Christ, how you doing on serving? Are you an obedient soldier? Are you enjoying the benefits that he provides? Or are you still turning to the world and looking to satisfy those needs? God help us to be the soldiers we ought to be, serving the master and enjoying the benefits that he alone can provide us with. If you raised your hand earlier and you need Christ, just a moment, I'll pray, but 
won't you step out and see somebody and let them show you simple truths from the Bible? It's, it's simple. Don't complicate it. And if you're a child of God, won't you come and rededicate yourself to him? Father, thank you again for your love and your grace in our life. Thank you for the men and women that have come today to be a part of this service. Father, we recognize that without you, Lord Jesus, we are in a bad strait. For that, those that raised hands, we pray, Lord, that you'd help them to recognize their need of Christ, that you'd give them the very courage they need to step out into an aisle, to be willing to let someone show them the precious promises that you give us out of the Word of God. And for the believer today, may you, Father, help them, each and every one of us, to recommit ourselves and rededicate ourselves to the battle and to your leadership. May we choose to be obedient to you and let you know areas we haven't been, confessing them as sin, forsaking them, and then turning to you and trusting you to help us to live a life that pleases you each day. We need you, we love you. We'll give you the glory in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the music plays. Won't you come?